You're listening to West of Middle East, a podcast about Middle Eastern changemakers living in the West. I'm your host, Niaz Kastravi. In season two, we feature changemakers working in and around the field of education. Be it through traditional academia, technology, the arts, advocacy, or movement building. Each episode shines a spotlight on changemakers doing everything from the ordinary to the extraordinary, humanizing their triumphs and struggles and offering a more real narrative of who they are to counter the often sensationalized and misconceived portrayals of these communities in mainstream media. West of Middle East is produced by the Neda Nobari Foundation, an organization supporting social and environmental justice through the arts and education. America is a nation of immigrants. Today, there are more than 43 million immigrants in the United States, making up 13.5% of the population. If we account for immigrants and their children who are born in the U.S., that number rises to 27%. Whether it's in search of opportunities for ourselves and our families to thrive, seeking safety from turbulence in our own homeland, or in those cases of chance or adventure that bring us here, almost all grapple with finding ways to be a part of the fabric of this country, contribute to the society, and preserve a sense of our own identity and culture. Passing along tradition in the diaspora is something that our guest also grapples with through her art. I sit down with Taraneh Mami, an Iranian-American visual artist and art educator based in San Francisco. As most immigration stories tend to be, Tarane's story is complex. I came here before the revolution. The revolution happened within a year that I was still a student, just beginning of freshman year at the University of Oregon. And soon the revolution began demonstrations in the streets, uh, started in Tehran. We all of us, um, and there was quite a few of us at the time, I think. The year that I came, it was over 100,000 students that were coming to the U.S. for education. Those of us who were here really wanted to go back at the time, but it wasn't advised. <laughs> you know, basically, had we gone back, we wouldn't be able to return to continue education. And soon after the hostage crisis, hostages were taken in Tehran, the INS was asking for all of us to register. Many people were deported back. And at the same time in Iran, all the universities were closing. And so it was the decision about going back meant that we would be in a limbo in Iran, not being able to continue our education. Some of the biggest challenges I've faced as an immigrant in this country has been losing a sense of belonging primarily and trying to find a way uh, that I fit within the fabric of this society, this new country. 
Other challenges, of course, has to do with the politics and the relationship between Iran and the U.S., so my two homes. That's been center from almost day one that I entered uh, into the country, and it has continued, unfortunately, to this day. That decision, in my mind, hasn't been made yet. <laughs> I still think about going back. So it's something that I grapple with all the time. Initially, the idea was that I would come, finish my education, and go back. This was, of course, you know, the world had a different plan. <laughs> I've had to make that decision several times. After my master's degree in 95, I wanted to go back. Khatami's era, it seemed like it was a more open time to go back. My whole family had moved here by that time, so there, it was much more difficult to go back. And now that I'm getting closer to retirement age, we think about that again. <laughs> but it's uh, probably a, a question that I'll have to answer again and again to the rest of my life. Tarane is now a thriving artist based in California, but it took her a while to see herself as that. I have always done art in one way or another from very young age. So that was how I identified myself always, whether it was music or painting or dance or whatever it was that we were doing as kids. That was what I just would give my whole life to. And so in some ways, I started um, at five, maybe, being an artist, even though it took me a long time to actually call myself an artist was decades after my bachelor's degree that I allowed myself to call myself an artist. In her work, Tarane is drawn to many genres. I started as a painter, and that's something that I really cherish, the time that I get to spend by myself in the isolation of the studio. Uh, very meditative, is amazing. At the same time, I've done a lot of work with the community and have done works that are installations or involve many in their production and the participation of others become a center part of it. And I feel like that has been the most impactful of my work uh, that I've done. And in some ways, that feels like what I'll be continuing to do in future projects. One of her most noted projects specifically focuses on her identity as an Iranian. Hall of Reflections project started in 2000 when I finally decided to uh, become an American citizen. So I started calling myself an Iranian-American, holding two passports, and really became interested in finding out who else is in the community and knowing very well that a couple of generations had been here without their stories being captured or saved for the rest of us. And I took it upon myself to collect those narratives and stories. Also, considering that it had been over 20 years that I'd been here already and been distant to stories of my own family and relatives, it felt like I needed those narratives to understand who I am. Stories became extremely important for me to uh, learn more about myself and my community in the Bay Area. And when her identity was once again under attack after the passage of the Muslim ban, 
an executive order signed by Donald Trump that limits visitors to the U.S. from several majority Muslim countries. She joined forces with other Middle Eastern artists. The political events in relationship to policies that affect me directly as an Iranian has had direct effect on my work. I have, in the past year, immediately after the travel ban was announced, became very involved with a group at the college where I teach, California College of the Arts, in a group called MENA that started primarily with students at CCA. And, you know, the travel ban was affecting a number of the students within the group that I was involved with, MENA, artists from Middle East and North Africa, very directly. And uh, we wanted to create an environment where people had an opportunity to share their narratives and stories with the rest of the campus, but with a larger community in the Bay Area. And we set up an exhibition, a collective exhibition at the college's gallery in San Francisco, where we invited a number of people to present their stories and narratives, as well as share their problems that they were facing with the larger community through artworks and lectures and video and installations. It was really a moment, like it happened really quickly. I think the exhibition was up by February and March. And it really was an important time for all of us to actually uh, bring the community together to make them aware of what was happening and how these bans were actually affecting us directly. But she sees her experience as connected to the struggle of other communities in America. As part of my teaching practice, I really focus on the larger issues that people of color have had to face with gender issues uh, we're grappling with, and especially all of it is pronounced after the you know, Trump presidency. I teach in the diversity studies department at CCA, and that is what I do. It's, we collect uh, stories and narratives from various communities, focusing on specifically race and gender issues, as well as now, of course, the policies that are affecting these various communities in direct ways. The projects she is most proud of are the ones that focus on community. Probably most proud of the projects that bring the community together. In 2000, uh, when I became an American citizen, it was the same year that Persian Center, a community center that had been active in the Bay Area, mostly in South Bay, acquired a building in Berkeley, California. And it was going to be the first building that belonged to the community. And it really inspired me to have our stories be embedded in the walls of the building. Thinking about gathering halls in Iran and reflective mirror halls of gathering centers in whether it's the mosque or the bathhouse or mm-hmm. to the palaces that are bring the community together. I wanted to use that concept, but have the mirrors reflect not just the present moment of people who are in the space, but their past stories and memories of Iran and their migration stories. So it was a project that sort of was conceived uh, for the center. 
The project got funding from Creative Work Fund, which is a local organization, and we started working towards that in 2000. By the time I started collecting the stories, it was September of 2001. So the nature of the project changed, the kind of stories that I thought I was going to be collecting changed. The project became suspect in some ways because I was calling for stories of your migration at the same time that INS was calling the Iranians to register. And it complicated the project. What happened was it also transformed it into a much more collaborative one. I reached out to the community, invited a number of people to collaborate with me in collecting the narratives, one being Persis Karim, Uh, Zari Tahiri, Shahnush Parisipur, all women, all storytellers, to come and uh, basically create workshops where people would gather and share their stories with one another. And we were doing those in September, October, November of 2001, when we really, as a community, needed a place to share our narratives and what was happening to our community. We, for the most part, were experiencing this for the first time, Being, um, you know, second generations, people who were born here were coming into these meetings and workshops with tears in their eyes, so thinking of themselves as American, but all of a sudden standing on the outside of that and for the first time really experiencing being the other. So the stories were, the gatherings became very important. The stories were embedded within mirrors and glass, and uh, they traveled extensively before they were finally placed at Persian Center for a permanent installation there. The tiles ended up traveling to many institutions, a lot of different universities, Southern California, and several times in Los Angeles and Southern California. But then it was invited, the project was invited in 2003 to... Uh, be included in Sharjah Biennial, the United Arab Emirates. And Sharjah, and it was happening basically right at the same time as the bombing of Baghdad was starting. So this is 2003. For the two weeks that I was over there to create my walls of identity, as I had thought about them, like building a community, building, building identity on the walls, building home, It didn't make sense anymore because all we were watching was the destruction of a city, Baghdad, and a new wave of immigrants and refugees were being born. And um, so it also changed and shifted. I placed the tiles inside the rubbles of buildings and it just changed the installation completely. And you had to walk through the rubble to see the stories and the photographs. And it was... Basically, uh, my only tool was a shovel to move the tiles around and uh, create this scene that I was witnessing, that destruction was being portrayed through that. Afterwards, we shipped all of the tiles back and then they were placed permanently at Persian Center. As part of her work, Tarane focuses a lot on the idea of belonging, of memories, and the ways in which we deal with the past. Summer of 2016, 
Basically, I was invited to exhibit that project. Uh, however, as I mentioned, the project is permanently installed at Persian Center. Now, the photographs were designed to, the photographs as part of the assemblages that were created were designed to fade through time. So these photographs are actually after the 15 years that has passed. So the photographs are faded and changing. And that time uh, is a uh, very important element of the piece. So when I was invited to exhibit the work in Tehran, I had to think about how that was going to be possible. It ended up being that we re-photographed the tiles at Persian Center to capture the moment that they are in existence now. And we reproduced everything back in Tehran and installed it very near the house that I grew up amongst the rubble of neighborhood uh, building constructions. It was within a gallery, but it was set up as such. And to my surprise, I mean, this is happening at the same time as we're, we're witnessing the Syrian refugees. And in a lot of ways, that's what was on my mind to recreate that installation, thinking about the refugees around the world. But the experience of the audience was very different. In Tehran, what they were watching was their own lives They're every day watching the city being destroyed and built into these taller apartments, you know, the transformation that happens within the uh, city of Tehran every day. And there were so many comments about the displacement that they feel within their own city as it's changing continuously. And as I was, of course, talking about the pieces in, in Farsi, I maybe for the first time, I realized Khan Kharab, so the literal translation of a destroyed home is what I've made, <laughs> you know, in some ways. I've created that scene talking about my own migration experience, the refugee crisis, but also even people who hadn't made that, you know, hadn't traveled across the world were feeling that within their own homes as the country ch has changed in the past 40 years. For Taranet, art provides the perfect platform for both education and communication. I think the power of art is that it connects people through their senses and, and their heart rather than their brain. You know, if, if you're reading something, you're basically maybe gain some information, but when you observe something through someone's emotion in a gallery, it will sit back. Uh, it'll affect you in a way that no words can. The class that I teach at CCA called Telling Stories, it basically is a way for us as a class to delve into untold stories of communities that whose voice is not heard otherwise. And so we basically will look at personal narratives first and then connections of this uh, personal stories to the larger communities. This semester, for instance, a number of the students uh, were focusing on LGBTQ 
communities because that's uh, the community that, you know, they're, they're very young. That's the community that they're starting to feel connected to and also discovering in the Bay Area. So it becomes a way for them to learn about their own communities as well as how they can define themselves and finding connections with. I've learned so much from the stories that are collected every semester from the various communities. And I have to say I'm very proud that CCA in the past 15 years that I've been teaching there has changed quite a bit. Now we have actually a really diverse student body, which really has transformed the class as well. So we're learning from each other and expanding our views of what each community grapples with. In Tarana's belief, art provides a very powerful tool that not only brings us together, but educates us in a very real way, not just relying on our brain power, but through all of our senses. Tana recently created a piece and an exhibit called Yekseda. I was invited to create a piece about communication at an outdoor setting in Montavo Art Center, which is located in, in Saratoga in Northern California, as part of their sound festival. So the idea was to create a tool for communication. And I thought about the most basic tool of communication going back to ancient times, basically a tube that would transfer one voice to another, thinking about whispers, thinking about telling stories, thinking about connecting one person to another and what can be told through that connection. The piece grew to really think about sound as and voice as one, as we call seda in Persian, is um, used for both, both uh, creating sound but also your voice. And I think for me, Seda always connects to a line of poetry from Farooq Farooqzad. Tanha Sedast ke mimanat is only voice that remains. And she's talking about why uh, should she remain silent? It's only voice that remains. And this was really in response to, this is just last summer, so it's, it is in response to the new politics of this country and wanting to give voice to anyone, to people. So basically it's 20 tubes. You can um, listen and talk into the tubes from two sides, so 40 entries. <laughs> 40 people can gather and voice their concerns, shout out what they want, tell stories or whisper secrets to one another in different ways. The piece is also an instrument, so it can be played uh, with various tools. Um, and in fact, that is something that happened through for various uh, performance events that we had. And in one occasion, I invited a, a musician, a local young musician, Sahba Aminiknia, and a past collaborator I invited to work with me on the project. He had done a piece himself inspired by the same line of poem, Only Sound Remains. That's the title of his piece. And for that project, he had collected um, singing voices by women from Iran. On his Facebook, he had a call to his friends looking for uh, women's voices. 
And he had used that in various ways for his own composition. But what we did with my sculpture was we placed the voices within the tubes. And as audience, you could walk around and listen to these voices that was recorded basically on their mobile phones and sent across the oceans to us. And you could walk around the piece and hear all these different women uh, singing voices coming through the tubes from within it. And that was one of the most magical moments (laughs) for us and the piece. Tarana credits some of her family members as those who have impacted her life the most. I come from um, a family of mostly women. (laughs) My mom, three kids, all of my family from my mother's side were always around the kitchen table telling stories. I think a lot of times, I mean, the beginning of my process, that was what I was craving for from the very beginning. The women that have most impacted me primarily come from my family, immediate family. My mom is incredible. She's always been the strong person that I've always looked up to. She is a philosopher (laughs) and big heart and brings everyone around her kitchen table. And that was where I witnessed a lot of traditions being passed um, down. A lot of storytelling would happen around the kitchen table while the women were producing, you know, were preparing food. Or And that was for those of us kids around the kitchen table helping that became um, the place where stories were shared. And a lot of the projects that have that I've done collectively with women specifically, but also with the larger community, is very much inspired by those moments and those memories. A lot of the focus of my work has been dealing with the past directly. A lot of it has come from a very self-fulfilling place because I needed to learn about the past. I've done past three years, I've done research on the history of Iran, starting from 1850s to this day, looking at the history of dissent, for instance, trying to figure out what truth is and deciphering what the connections between different narratives that you hear from the media to the history books, very slanted history books that we observe, and trying to find a narrative of that history that helps me define myself. I find that a lot of us who moved here at a young age didn't have access to the right information, whether we were back in Iran with the censored books and to coming here where the news and the media is, is very much slanted. It became necessary for me to really look into the past more directly. Now, I've done that through research, but I've also done that through collecting narratives and stories, right? So mm-hmm. it basically is looking at both historical but also personal and trying to find connections between the two. Tarana's work has also brought people together, sometimes those who may not have come together in the past, but also brought communities into spaces they may not have usually occupied. I've been able to um, use the platform of my work, of my art, to invite others to enter into the conversation, whether it's through curation. I've 
focused on the Middle Eastern artists in the Bay Area mostly, but also in California. And I've had a few occasions where I've been able to work with diaspora artists across nations, and both as a way of connecting the artists with one another and understanding what it is that we're focusing on, creating conversations, but also to invite the larger audiences to be able to share those stories and narratives uh, from not just one single perspective, but multiple. So it's been really important for me to continue to work with artists from the region in many different ways, with through collective projects, through storytelling, through curation, through um, participatory projects. The result of a lot of these collaborations have been creating a sense of community amongst the artists that are participating, but also bringing the Middle Eastern community here into otherwise very white gallery spaces and institutions that usually they don't frequent. It does bring them, it gives them a place. Um, In fact, a lot of the projects actually have that as part of the way they're designed is that they do have a component, a space of gathering always as part of the design. A couple of years ago, we did a project called Fabrications at Southern Exposure, a gallery in, in locally in the San Francisco Bay Area. And part of it, we had a tea house, served tea and had narrators and performers, film screenings, and many occasions where we brought the community of, you know, gallery goers, which are usually non-Middle Eastern, as well as our communities, together to for sharing these stories and everyone anyone was invited to the open mic to share the narratives and it was i have to say it was one of the more fulfilling experiences for me to have 3 400 people show up every time that we had an event and come repeatedly it's sort of unheard of in the art world that you would do come back to a show again and again but that's sort of what happened it just felt very essential for everyone to take advantage of the couple months that we had the exhibition and had a center for gathering to come together for those conversations. In the Bay Area, Tarana has found a very thriving and comfortable space for herself as an artist. We are living in a very exciting time for the Bay Area art scene. Has few years, there have been a lot of changes happening within the art scene. I mean, some very positive at the same time. We're also experiencing some gentrification and the city has become so expensive that it's difficult to survive as an art, but um, it's the two challenges go hand in hand these days. The Bay Area has always been a place for community and nonprofit um, social change projects have always been something that has thrived here and has gained support. In fact, I think at one point we had the largest number of nonprofits in the Bay Area in the arts, and that has kept me here for the past. 30 years, more than, let's say, New York, which was much more commercial. 
and definitely a different kind of art scene. This was the place for me that really felt I had that bond from the very beginning. I also want to mention the art scene in terms of the art scene within the Iranian community uh, that I'm connected with, even though it hasn't been the uh, visual art scene. We've had uh, from the very first days that I moved to the Bay Area, I've been involved with the theater scene here, and there's been an evolving scene and it continues to grow. And that has also affected the kind of work that happens within um, theater groups, which has to do with the community building. That has also affected my work. And I continue to collaborate with different members of uh, different groups to this day. Tarana's story reminds us that this beautiful landscape that many of us call home is made of diverse stories from people from all corners of the world, all doing their part to add to the fabric of American life. We bring with us our past, our struggles, and we also bring our hopes for the future, contributing our own individual voices and adding value to a very unique American community. You've been listening to West of Middle East, you can hear more episodes about changemakers from the Middle East diaspora at westofmiddleeast.org or check us out on iTunes. If you like what you heard, please rate us on iTunes. This podcast is created by the Neda Nobari Foundation, an organization supporting social and environmental justice through the arts and education. Our engineer is Rick McRae of Conscious Studios. Music is composed by Loga Ramin Torkian and Azam Ali. And I'm your host, Niaz Kasravi. If you want to share your thoughts about this podcast or have ideas for future seasons, email us at comments at westofmiddleeast.org. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time.